This is Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International, a non-denominational end times ministry dedicated to fulfilling a divine commission to trumpet forth warnings from God concerning the imminent second coming of Christ and the impending judgment of God upon the ungodly. God has sent Dr. Hansen to many nations of the world with a solemn warning to the political and religious leaders and citizenry to repent of their sinfulness and wickedness or face the catastrophic judgments that will soon be unleashed upon the unbelieving world. Listen now to the warnings of our compassionate and merciful Creator conveyed through His faithful prophetic spokesman, the host of Warning Radio, Dr. Jonathan Hansen. This is Dr. Jonathan Hansen. We're going to continue where we left off yesterday with the Zebra Man. He says, okay, I want you to follow me to the story about Naaman the leper, the Syrian general, who uh, in his household they had captured some Hebrew people, and a, a, little, a little Hebrew girl was a servant in their household, and she said to the master, probably the lady of the house, I wish my, servant, I wish my master Naaman would go see the prophet in Israel, because he would heal him, because Naaman's got leprosy. He's a general. He's right below the king in their country, but he's got leprosy. And we know leprosy is a skin disease. And so when I told Jesus, I don't like old people's skin, he takes me to Naaman. And, and he says, now, now imagine what this leprosy looked like on this Syrian general that the little girl says, I wish my master would go get healed because his skin is horrible. So if you kind of know the story, Naaman goes and uh, skip a part of it. Uh, and, he, and the prophet hardly tells him anything except go dip in the Jordan River seven times. Naaman kind of objects and says there's better water in, in Syria. The rivers are cleaner. The rivers of, of where I live are very dirty. Not dirty like pollution dirty, just m- muddy, milky. Not that clean, beautiful, uh, like Seattle, Brook Spring, trout-looking water. It's dirty water. So Naaman's objecting. And then his men say, look, if the guy had told you to do something really powerful, you would have done it, and then you would have gotten it. But he's asked you to do something simple. Just go do it. So the Bible says, at the word of God, he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan River, and he came up, and his skin was fresher than a child's. At the word of God, he obeyed, and his skin was fresher than a child's. So the Lord said, obey my word, your skin will be fresher than a child's. So now I'm pretty well stuck. Okay, he's taking care of my objection to to being 120 or more, and because uh, he said I'll add 50 years to your life, and so I can climb a mountain at 120. I'm as strong today as I was 45 years ago, and I'll have skin fresh like a child's. I said, okay, okay, I'll go. I had already said I'd go, but he knew what my objections still were in my head, so we talked about it, talked it through, and uh, he said, "There's a condition." You have to sell everything you have, give it all away, and come follow me. And I told you about, I had a very good career. I had a very successful career. I I built a beautiful home in Maple Valley uh, on a golf course, Frank Lloyd Wright home. The woman I was married to went to Europe, spent a month in Europe buying chandeliers and all kinds of luxury things for the home. It was kind of a mini palace. It was beautiful. 
I put, put an in-ground swimming pool in with a big water, with a big diving off rock like cliffs in the backyard. Because what I wanted was all the, all, I had two kids, a boy and a girl. I wanted all their friends to hang out at our house. So I built a, a, a small resort. And that's what people would think of it when they come there. You know, we kept the pool at, it's outdoors. Like, it's cold like here. The water's 90 degrees year round. And has underground lights. It's just a, it's just an amazing place. And I, the, the floors, she went to Europe and the museums there, they have cork floors. So she got the cork floors. You walk on them, they're quiet and soft. And then copper ceilings. It was really kind of cool. And then she went to, uh, uh, Murano, Italy to buy the chandeliers and had the Murano glass made into chandeliers. And so all that stuff was shipped in these con- containers and things. And, and, uh, and I, we, together, the woman I was married to, see, I'll tell you this, cause this is for mature audiences, right? She's not my wife. The Lord corrected me. She says she's not your wife. She, you, when you die, the marriage covenant ceases to exist. So you cannot call her your wife because your words contain power. You cannot say, my wife this, my wife that, because you're going to remarry. And I, you, that covenant is separated through death. So it's the woman you were married to for 35 years, not your wife. You can't have two wives. You can't have the wife that's in heaven and the wife that's on earth. You can't have that. Now, I don't say that's for everybody. That's how God talked to me. Yes. For me, that's how he cleared my thinking. Because... It was very interesting that the woman I was married to for 35 years, she picked the day and the date and the time she's going to die and go to heaven. And so we go through the cancer doctors in, in Seattle and all the stuff you go through and the treatments and all the things. And, and she, she beat cancer the first time. And then it came back later and metastasized, went throughout her body. And she comes to me and says, I'm not going to fight this time. I'm finished. Discerning of spirits operated very strongly in the woman I was married to. And she'd been to, even before, even way before we even had children, she'd gone to heaven a couple of times and the Lord showed her fields and, and flowers and colors and taught her about how, how everything in heaven has a voice and how it sings and there's a, a, a message that comes from, from the, from the flora and the fauna and the colors. And it helped us when we started building homes with colors and designs and things. But the, the, the part I, I want to say is she, she, she says to me, when we got married in Dallas, Texas, we, we got married in San Francisco. And then we were in street ministry with the Salvation Army in Dallas, Texas. Uh, she said, at that time, I knew there was a, a, a big call on your life. And we've known it from the time we met, that God had a big call for your life. And we went through that season of doing everything that God wanted us to do. And then uh, one day, I, the Lord said, uh, you're finished here in Dallas. And, and I said, okay, what's next? He said, what do you want to do? I said, well, I want to do what you want to do. He said, no, I want to do what you want to do. I said, no, I want to do what you want to do. And, and he said, I want to do what you want to do. And I said, well, you have to give me a scripture for this, because I always follow your word. And he said, delight yourself in the Lord, and I give you the desires of your heart. What's your heart's desire? I said, well, Lord, we've been married. We want to start a family. He said, start a family. I said, okay, we'll start a family then. And so... I get together with, uh, with Linda, surname, and we talk, and we say, well, if we're going to start a family, we can go anywhere in the world. I'd already lived in Peru and Central America, and, and uh, so I said, any, and all, most of the United States, I went to school, law school in Colorado. She said, I think we should move to where I have family, because when we have children, then they'll have cousins and nieces and nephews and aunts and uncles, and the, 
it'd be easier, more fun. I said, okay, let's go to Seattle. Seattle's fine. So we moved to Seattle, started a family. And uh, so that was in our very early years, after in, in the year two of 35. And uh, so now we're in year 34. She's about to die, 34, 35. And uh, she says, uh, I, we, we've always known that there's a big call in your life, but you set it aside for a season where we did children and businesses. And, you know, I could write a donation check for $100,000, and I did. You know, that was just a grace, not me. It was just the grace that allows that to happen. And uh, we had a foundation. We funded the foundation. Then she'd go around and help teen pregnancy aids and all kinds of things on her own side. So we had things we were doing, but we weren't fully in the river swimming. So she said, after, after cancer came back the second time, she says, I know I can be healed, but I'm going to heaven. That's what she said. I know I can be healed, but I'm going to heaven. Because God's got a call on your wife that's too big. And I don't want to do it, she said. I don't want to go. I don't know what she means. I don't even know what it is. This is way before coffee with Jesus. And she says, I don't know what it is, but it's big. I know that. And I don't want to participate. She's from Finland, uh, very fair skin, Nordic, Seattleite, you know, lots of family in the Nordic, you know, Ballard kind of world. And uh, she says, so I don't want to do this. And uh, so, you, so I'm going to die and go to heaven on April 3rd, about this time of day. And uh, so we organized through the cancer care centers, and they allow you to do that if you, if you choose to in your home, but you have to have a doctor there. You, they have to sign off a medical certificate. They have to have ability to check your heart rate and all that stuff. So we have the medical professionals there, and the person that calls the coroner. So this is kind of the, this last part of it. So we're in the house, and we've made arrangements. So she had about eight or ten family members that she wanted to have one last prayer with and one last conversation with, uh, and then she takes her last breath. She leans back in her recliner. She breathed, her mouth stuck open, and her breath, and she's gone. And the, the medical doctor person and, and my son, they're holding, he's holding his mother, and the doctor's there, and they feel her pace, her pulse just go down, 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 down. And you can feel, you can see her skin color changing a little bit to more of a grayish. And uh, she, she was already gone. The body was finishing, but she had left. And then he pronounces her dead, called the corner. They were expecting the call. About 35, 40 minutes later, van shows up. They cover her with blankets. She gets in the back of the gurney, the gurney in the back of the van, off she goes. But she was already gone. That was just the body. Before that day, she had called many of the family members together. We, when, when she had made the decision she was going to die, we asked her, what kind of things do you want to do? And we had this whole list of things. We did them all. And so we, we used to have people over every weekend, we'd have these big barbecues or, or fiestas, buffets, and lots of socializing. Because people wanted us to come and say, see Linda and say goodbye or see what's going on. And I had people take me aside and say, are you sure she's going to die? She looks so beautiful. Because she'd given up everything. She had no stress, no worry, no anxiety. She was just anticipating heaven with no worries whatsoever. Her, her countenance actually changed. She got more beautiful, and her skin got more beautiful. She was ready to go into glory, and glory had come to her to get ready to receive her. So, uh, about a month before this departure date, we have this big gathering, and uh, everybody's there. I'm, I'm actually kind of sad, truthfully. I, I'm giving you the good, you know, the story and, and the most level emotional feel, feelings that I can. But I really, and my children. They weren't excited that their mother had picked a day to go. 
they talked about her being there with the grandkids and all the things that we all dream about. And, uh, but they knew. They'd gone to the cancer counseling doctor's things, and they, <coughs> they knew that their mother was not going to live. And uh, so anyway, one day, but she's in joy. We're all in kind of a halfway into sorrow, but she's so happy, she keeps the rest of us kind of up, you know, about her departure. So she says, one day, there's about 15, 18 people in the room. She says, uh, now I want you to all know, I want Jerry to remarry. We never talked about this. You know, we talked about many things, whether it was sitting on the couch, whether, whether she, sometimes she had to sit up because of pain, but she wouldn't let pain control her. Sometimes we're in bed, I'm rubbing her body to help her feel a little better relief. And she said, but she, so we never talk about, mar- I'm still married at that time. So I don't even think of another woman. That's not my mind. But she gathers everybody together and says, now I want your dad to remarry, meaning me. I want Jerry to remarry. And uh, I'm shocked. I don't know why she's con- having a conversation like this. And she said, and, and so there's a pause, and, they, and she goes, because we all know Jerry can't take care of himself. <laughs> <laughs> He's good at some things, but he isn't good at many things. So, so we need somebody to take care of him. And we, we know your dad. We know Jerry. He likes to do outdoor things. Uh, she's finished, so the sun is not a pleasant thing for her. It takes her 25 minutes to get enough sunscreen on her face and put a big hat on and long sleeves to go outside because the sun's very difficult on her, her body type. So she says, so I've been thinking about it. Your dad needs to marry a dark-skinned woman, and she needs to be outdoorsy. She needs to be able to hike and go all these places because we do lots of camping. We've got two or three boats. We've got two or three houses, you know, all outdoorsy kind of stuff. And she says, you know, I go half the time. Other half the time, I just go with my sister and we go do something else. But because your dad's an outdoor person, he has lots of fun doing outdoor things. So we need to find him a dark-skinned woman that's very outdoorsy, that likes to do a lot of things outside. And she said, so, so I've been thinking there's a, there's a sports store in Seattle called REI. And she says, I think I'm going to go buy a pair of boots and put them by the front door. And, and the girl who fits these boots, it's like, that's the Cinderella story. <laughs> so, so the girl who fits the boots, you all know it's the right woman for your dad. So, so, I, so it's like, okay, all right, I don't get this at all. Because remember, Ethiopia is not anywhere near the picture. And I'm not anywhere at all thinking about, because Jesus came to my house a year after she passed away, after she went to heaven. So... This is completely foreign thinking to me. It's not in my mind at all. And uh, But anyway, we all receive it, and it's okay. That's her, her thing. And uh, then I told you she, she has a prayer with every family member, has the last conversation with them, and then she breathes her last, doctor pronounces her dead, coroner takes her body away, and now life begins for me. And that's when uh, about a, I, I think to myself, well, I could do anything. What do I want to do? The world's available to me. I used to live on the island of Guam, which is why I, the veterans thing is a very big part of my heart because Guam is part of the mil- big military island. has done many things. have many friends on the island of Guam. took my whole family to Guam from 2010 to 2014. So we live on the island of Guam. And I did work in Hong Kong and in, in the Philippines and in, in uh, Korea, Japan. And uh, as I mentioned before, I used to be in Peru. Those were days different before I was saved. I went to Peru, uh, in Colombia. So I'm sitting down just thinking, what could I possibly do? 
And that's when Jesus shows up. So I got a plan for you. How about Ethiopia? There's dark skinned women. That's outdoorsy, it's sunshiny, and you can hike. <laughs> so he kind of checked all the boxes for me after the visitation. And, uh, and when he said, please, I, I knew his heart was in it. And he put his heart in my heart for the nation. And I can't get away from it. This trip here to America was completely against my will. I never want to leave Ethiopia. I'm there all the time. I don't want to leave. So this journey, I've been in America a few weeks. I got a few more weeks until I get to go back. But a month before, I know I'm scheduled to come back. And the primary reason I'm coming back is to tell my children, I think I've met the woman in Ethiopia I'm going to marry. And, and I want to have a face-to-face conversation with them and, sh- and tell, her, tell them the amazing story, how God arranged this divine appointment for this woman. Because I've had many girlfriends in the nation, and uh, God's used each one of them to teach me culture, to teach me Orthodox religion, which is, which is interesting there. I've, I've been with beautiful Muslim ladies and in, into their culture. God's used the women to take me into their culture. And uh, I remain a virgin since my wife passed away, since you go to heaven. God said, Keep, stay, stay a virgin. That's okay. He said, don't deposit your seed anywhere. I need you. I need the seed that you have inside of you for the nation. I, I'll bring you the right womb. And the right woman, woman, I'll bring you the right woman (laughs) for your seed to produce offspring for the nation, the same as I did for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I ordained and arranged a marriage for Isaac through his father Abraham and through the father's servant, Gehazi, who went to find the bride for Isaac to find Rebekah. So you just stay faithful, I'll bring the right bride for you. And I'll give you all the points along the way, so you'll know it's for me. So I have, so that's, I, I know this is going to happen. That's why I come back to tell my children the whole story. And they're rejoicing. Because one of the things that happened was, their mother has been in heaven for about a year. Jesus comes to heaven, or comes down from heaven, has a conversation with me. I'm scared. I don't quite understand a lot of it, like Peter did on the rooftop. So then I spend uh, a few weeks, maybe a month, pondering what to do. And I'm studying about Ethiopia. I'm learning about it. I'm studying it all through the scriptures, and I'm studying it on Google to try to learn about it. And the first thing that I find out in the Bible is you're supposed to pray for the leaders of the nations. So I, I study the first lady, and, or the prime minister and the first lady of Ethiopia. I start studying them, praying for them as the leaders of the nation. And I find out that there's two primary tribal groups in Ethiopia, one's from the north called Amaric, one's from the south called Oromo. Those are the two primary dominant ethnic tribal categories. And they're typically not killing each other, but they don't get along. There's just differences in culture and biases and things like that. But they're not hatred of each other, but they don't get along. So as I'm studying the prime minister and the first lady, I find out that they're both born-again, spirit-filled, tongue-talking, Bible-worshipping Christians. And she's on YouTube, the first lady's on YouTube, on her knees worshiping God and praying for repentance for her nation. And the prime minister is always declaring, we're where we are because God is in our nation making these things happen. So, and, and, and so I study a little further, like I said, after finding out they're both Christians, and I find out that she, the first lady, is from the Amara region in the north, and the prime minister's from the southern region, he's a Romo from the south, and God put them together to make the two one flesh. So he said to me, this is symbolic of the leadership of the nation becoming one, the Prime Minister and the First Lady, 
the two cultures blending. I'm making peace throughout the nation, and you're to go participate in. I'm going to set you with the leaders of the nation. I'm going to show you everything you need to do. I said, wow, that, that's, isn't that something? I just like, really? You're going to do that? Yeah, he said, oh, you just have to sell everything you have, give it all away. Come follow me. I said, Lord, I've had everything. I've had everything. There's nothing that I could ever want. I've had everything. And I know the value of having everything, and I know the value of having very little. So it wasn't, it wasn't I can't say it's 100% easy, because I got down, I got rid of everything, except I have one beautiful black Lexus coupe in the driveway. And in one small house, I kept one little small rental house, it was a rental house, kept one little small house to, li- to have a, as a habitation, one beautiful new Lexus in the driveway. I'm still got, I still have to have my image, right? Got to still have the right car. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to go to Bible study in the right car, you know. <laughs> and the Lord said, sell the Lexus. I said, well, how am I going to get around? How am I going to go to Bible study? He said, you're going to ask for help. I said, I never asked for help. <laughs> He said, I know, we have to teach you how to ask for help. <laughs> okay. I said, but you know, I'm not good at selling things. Because everything else, I just have my nephews post everything and do everything. So everything I sold, to, I let my family handle all the dis- distribution of assets. All I just said was, here's the titles, because I don't owe anything on anything. Take it all away. And they just sell everything, put it in my account, and I give it all away. And then I said, Lord, you know, I'm not good at selling things. He said, call Luke. Well, I, I, know, I knew who he meant. I hadn't seen the man for about four years since we'd gone to Guam, maybe even after that a little bit. But Luke used to be like our houseboy. So Luke took care of my swimming pool. When the cars needed to go in for service, he picked up the cars, took them into the dealership. When the boats needed to get ready, he was sure that the boats were ready to go out on the lake that day. So he was like a household uh, Abraham servant. He did everything. Fully trustworthy, competent in every category. So I call Luke. Well, first of all, I said to the Lord, I don't even know how to call Luke. So he, the Lord didn't say anything. So I went up to Home Depot to get a couple things for the house. And uh, remember, I haven't seen this guy for five or six years. In Home Depot, there's Luke. <laughs> so I said, hey, Luke. And the Lord said, see, you just called him. <laughs> he says, what? I say, hey, remember that, remember that other Lexus that I had? And then I got that new one. I said, I got this new Lexus coupe in the driveway and I want to sell it. He says, my daughter just took her driver's test with her license for high school. She has a driver's license. I'll buy it. I said, okay, come on by. And so in two days, the car was gone. And now I have nothing. So I want to go to Bible study. The Lord says, call Pastor Mike. Call, call Mike, De Lorenzo. I said, hey, Mike. Can I get right to church? I don't have any way to get there. He said, yeah, I'll come by and get you. So for the next six months, I have to ask people for rides and ways to get around, trust the Lord, plan my day better. So that's how God led me to a position of trust in him. And then I have no money. I won't go too much into that story because I just want to get into the part where how God, I asked, later I asked the Lord, why was it so important that I give everything away? He said, because you knew how to make money. You knew how, what, wisdom-wise, business-wise, acumen-wise, contact-wise, you know how to get money, generate wealth, and make things happen. But you don't know how to fully follow me for funds. So, so I, I take you on a different road of training, much like I send the disciples out the first time two by two. I tell them, take nothing for your journey. No extra bag, no, no funds to collection, not an extra clo- jacket. Just, just go two by two with nothing. And they come back and they, they report Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. So all the other things you told us happened, 
Everybody provided for us. We had everything we needed. And the demons obey us. Right? That's what he told me. He says, this is how I train my apostles. I didn't like to hear that word apostle because I don't like to be thinking like that. It's a little hard for me to accept some of the things God does, but I do eventually. So I have to go to these different places and talk. And uh, one day this man says, I think we ought to raise some money for Jerry. I don't, I don't tell anybody I don't have anything. I never, I never ask for money. I never say a word. Because remember, I'm not good at asking for help. And my, and my wife says, he doesn't know how to take care of himself. <laughs> so I never say a word. But anyway, this man said, I think we ought to, we, we, let's just pat, we were at a men's uh, little household breakfast thing. This is somebody, somebody get a bowl out of the kitchen. They put some money in it. I thought, wow, that's interesting. That's how people do that, huh? So, so I, I go out to the, to the car I have. I, I, my daughter gave, she said, Dad, you, 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 take this other car. I'm going to get a new car. Take the, take the old, the Jetta, the Volkswagen Jetta. Drive it for a while. I said, okay. So now I have a Volkswagen Jetta to drive for a little bit. So I go to this, I come back out to the car, and I, and I, I take the money out of the, uh, out of the, out of the bowl and our, that I received from them. I put it on the car seat, and I'm giving thanks to God. I said, Lord, that's amazing. People gave me money. I've never had anybody give me money. This is Dr. Hansen. Hope you've enjoyed today's program with Jerry Crawford. Tomorrow we're going to finish the testimonies of the Zebra Man. Thanks for listening to this episode of Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International. Warning Radio is a listener-supported program. We need your donations in order to continue airing these Christ-centered prophetic programs. Send your checks or money orders to World Ministries International, Post Office Box 277, Stanwood, Washington, 98292. To donate securely by phone, call 360-629-5248. Visit our website to find other ways of giving and a wealth of information about World Ministries International and host Dr. Jonathan Hansen. The website is worldministries.org. There, you'll also have access to hundreds of previously aired radio programs, made-for-television videos, thousands of articles, Dr. Hansen's books, and travel itinerary. Again, the website is worldministries.org. The phone number is 360-629-5248. Tune in at this same time, Monday through Friday, on this radio station for the next exciting edition of Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen. Remember, the Lord is not slow about the promise of His return, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for everyone to come to the repentance that leads to eternal life.